Stella Ryman and the Fairmount Manor Mysteries by Mel Anastasio Read by Gord Preston Chapter 1 The Case of the Third Option On this particular sun and shade April morning at Fairmount Manor, Stella Ryman no more entertained the idea of becoming an amateur sleuth than she had of entering next spring's Boston Marathon. For not only was Stella 82 years old, but she had lately sold her home and a lifetime of gathered possessions and washed up at Fairmount Manor Care Home in such a state that she would have bet her remaining seven pair of socks that she'd be dead in half a year. And here she lay in palliative care, only three months in. At this time of morning, she reckoned that the rest of Fairmount Manor residents in their ones, twos, and threes would be engaged with daytime television, or else sitting poised for the lunch tone to sound. But Stella was lying flat on her back, and all alone, tucked up tight in a metal-framed bed in a shadowed upstairs room. Her fingers danced across her blanket like little birds unsure where to alight. Of course, she was new to dying. A first-timer, just like everybody. She would not be afraid. Soldier on, Stella. She felt as if she were floating, and it took almost every scrap of Stella's concentration to make sure the sensation was taking her upwards. There should be no need to fear your own demise if you are ascending. Of course, if she felt like she was falling downward, that would be quite another matter. She bit her lower lip and attempted to trap one flapping hand with the other. In this manner, she managed to get both her hands folded across her breast. Her model for this posture was the Lady of Shalott, although at her age no Lancelot would be standing by to regret her passing. She tried to imagine Dr. Terry, who looked, now that she thought of it, something like Lancelot, if the parfait knight had gelled his hair. Sighing, she has a lovely face. God in his mercy lend her grace, Stella Ryman. Ah, well. To Dr. Terry, as to the world, Stella was an old lady dying upstairs in Fairmount Manor as best she might. Eyes firmly shut, she took a long, slow breath. Somebody slapped her in the face. It was a light slap, but sharp for all that. Sharp enough to hurt. It felt like the kind of slap you used to you used to receive in the schoolyard as a child when you'd royally teed somebody off. A bully, maybe, or one of those terrible, touchy friends you made from time to time throughout your life. The difficult ones who were so hard to shake. Wake up, Stella Ryman! A voice hissed from the side of the bed. Put on your glasses, sit up, and stop this nonsense at once. This uh, specific uh, 
halitosis was unmistakable. Stella's eyes snapped open. She looked up into mad Cassandra Browning's furious, tearful face. At 88, the woman was six years older than Stella herself, with grubby bare feet and a single streak of white in her mad Medusa hair. Cassandra's jacket was striped with bars of light and dark from the half-closed blinds in the window behind her so that Stella was put in mind of a convict who has taken over the prison and is making demands. Stella floated a little bit sideways. Damn it all, she muttered. Then it occurred to her that whether or not her early religious instruction had been in all ways accurate, she couldn't possibly exit this life swearing. Blast, she thought. Then, in an attempt to clear her slate, bless us, everyone. She tightened the claps, the clasp of her hands across her breast. A drop of something wet hit her cheek. Unclasping her hands, she brushed it away. Another drop rolled down into the corner of her mouth. However, Stella wasn't the one who was weeping. Mad Cassandra's tears dripped down upon Stella's face. Stella's heart softened. It's sweet of you, Cassie, but please don't cry. I can't help it, Mad Cassandra's eyes shone damply in the shadowy room. You're like an elephant. Patiently, Stella said, I'm not like an elephant, Cassie. You're behaving exactly like the elephants in the National Geographic magazine. The ones that think they know when they're going to die and then they go away and do it. Stella had read about elephants. The elephant had been a favored subject for children's written reports in the school library she used to administer. And she could easily picture the great beasts with their dignity and poise, choosing their own moment to depart the earth and quietly slipping away. Considering the source, this was a lovely compliment, and she thanked Cassandra for it. Mad Cassandra loomed above the bed, her tear-stained face shadowed by her long hair. Don't you thank me, missy. You've got no business acting like an elephant when you're needed downstairs. There's a problem. What problem? Stella's interest flapped its ears for an instant. Then she remembered where she was and what she was meant to be doing. I'm sorry, Cassandra, but whatever the problem is, I'm afraid I can't help. They had to wheel me up here on a gurney. I'm getting weaker with every moment. But that's because you haven't eaten in days, Cassandra snapped. I heard that Reliza girl say that when she took a moment away from making eye oh, say so, when she took a moment away from making eyes at young Dr. Terry, Dashing the tears from her furrowed cheeks, Cassandra stared fiercely round the little upstairs room until her face transformed itself with a ferocious grin. I know what to do. Wait here, or else. With a final bang of bony fists on Stella's bedroll, Cassandra was gone from the bedside. Or else what? 
with relief, with disappointment, Stella closed her eyes once more. She shifted her legs and moved her clasped hands lower, down to her warm belly. No matter how she wriggled, she couldn't seem to recover her inner Lady Shalott. As well, the room she had thought silent a few minutes before, now filled with buzzes and blips from the machines outside in the corridor. The machines were as difficult to ignore as those dreadful people who always hummed the same songs. But above the ambient noises, Stella now heard a new sound, familiar and homey. That of the click of a key pole opening a can. In the hushed little room, there arose an aroma that recalled to Stella her days as a young mother. Baked beans. Mad Cassandra breathed on her again. Open your mouth, old woman. Old woman? Pot libeling kettle? Stella retorted, but she had to open her mouth to do so. A spoon slipped between her lips. She suddenly found her mouth full of cold baked beans. Now swallow that directly. Not on your... The second spoonful of beans followed the first. <laughs> Fool me twice, shame on me, Stella thought. Just in time to avoid a third spoonful, she pressed her lips together. The tip of the spoon poked at her lips, between them and then up against her teeth, it was so important to keep one's own teeth into old age, Stella thought triumphantly. This spoon shall not pass. <laughs> then, quite clearly, as if in a film projected against the ceiling tiles above her head, Stella remembered the day long ago when her little daughter, Junie, wearing a red-pink raincoat, danced into the kitchen and declared herself starving for the bean soup Stella was stirring up on the stove. I'm a little pink piggy, her daughter said, and they both laughed themselves breathless. It had been a moment of incomparable beauty. In fact, it was the memory best suited to the present occasion. So that was what had been missing. She needed a perfect final recollection before she died. And now she had it. Picturing Junie laughing around her spoonful of soup, Stella attempted to relax into her previous position. You are the most irritating woman, Cassandra growled. Listen, Stella, it's a well-known cure of the ancient Romans. If you have a sick person, you feed them beans. Beans, beans, beans until the system slips back into whack and you're fit as a horse. How historically interesting, if true, Stella thought. Feeding me is a waste of time, Cassie. You know why they've brought me upstairs. Cassandra made a noise like that of a horse denied oats. Live or die, live or die, she complained. That's all anyone does at Fairmount. For once, I wish somebody would come up with a third option. A, a third option? Stella blinked. How can there be a third option to life or death? 
but Mad Cassandra didn't answer. With a whispered curse, she stepped away from the bedside. Stella heard the sound of bare feet pattering away at speed. She shook her head. Cassandra was certainly crazy, but she was agile. Agile as a 40-year-old. Perhaps it was some sort of trade-off for her loss of logic. Like the way Stella was always losing her way to the dining room, but could remember who did it in every Agatha Christie mystery she had ever read. Stella was wiggling her badly placed pillow out from under her shoulder when she became aware of youthful steps in rubber-soled shoes. They crossed from the door to the bed. A moment later, a gentle hand clasped Stella's. The young care worker, Reliza, asked, Are you perhaps feeling a little better now, Mrs. Ryman? With her other hand, Reliza pushed her shiny dark uh, hair back over her shoulder. Her lovely face flushed, and Stella knew that Reliza was about to mention the doctor. I had to come when somebody, Dr. Terry, told me that you'd been moved upstairs into palliative care. How kind you are, Stella patted Reliza's hand. She cast about for something comforting to say to her young visitor. Cassandra's imagery lingered. Oddly appealing in its use of personification and imagery, so Stella added, Sometimes I think we are all like elephants, finding our own time and place to leave life. She had meant to comfort Reliso. Instead, Stella had a sudden vision of herself trapped in a line of ancient and implacable elephants, waving and trumpeting their way through the long African grass on the way to their dying grounds. Amid the crush and thunder of their feet, how could one possibly turn back? I don't belong here. I'm not ready to be here. I've gotten myself into the wrong lineup completely. When Stella looked about her again, Reliza had slipped away. Feeling nervier than ever, Stella wished that Cassandra would return. She yearned so fiercely for some kind of company now that she didn't care how irrational the woman was with her mad talk of a mysterious third option to life and death. Here in palliative care, Stella's options seemed to be diminishing with every second. She wondered how it could be that people reported seeing their past lives flash uh, before their eyes at moments like this near the brink. Stella had no desire to reflect back on her childhood, her lightning marriage, or her long career in the school system. She found herself thinking instead of feats she had never attempted like parasailing and childhood dreams that had never come true, zookeeping, spying for the government, singing on radio, and above all these, becoming a detective. I'm so sorry, she told the child she used to be. I know you always wanted to become a 
clever detective and solve mysteries to the amazement of friends, family, and public at large. I never even tried, did I? But there was Junie to provide for. So, I hope, young Stella, you will forgive me. All at once, Stella became aware of feeling cold all over, nose to toes. She tried not to think what this sudden drop in temperature might mean. Trembling, she fumbled for the nurse call buzzer that hung by the side of the bed, but Cassandra had somehow tangled the cord so that the end with the button was jammed between the mattress and the bed rail. She freed it at last, found her glasses, pulled them out, put on her glasses, and pressed the call button. Once, twice, and three times, nobody came. She pressed the call button once more, and again, there was no avoiding the question now. Was she dead? <laughs> Had it already happened? And if she was dead, how would she know? Everything in the room looked much the same. The door to the corridor stood open at the same angle, just as Verleza had left it. Stella craned her neck to see whether the stripes of light on the floor had moved with the passage of time. She thought not. However, she noticed that the machines out in the corridor had fallen silent. She had heard many stories about what people saw when they died for a few minutes, and the closer she got to the far end of life, the more she thought about those tales. Stella knew, of course, about the light you were meant to see, and that in the moments just after death there was reported to be brain activity, sometimes known as the dream before dying. In that moment, you might believe you were alive when you were not. Fooling herself was not good enough for Stella. She was one to weigh both sides of an issue. When teaching science, composition, and library skills, problem-solving, both inductive and deductive, had always served her. And Stella recognized that this might well have been an outgrowth of her childhood desire to be a detective. Certainly, she saw no reason to stop employing her problem-solving methods now. First, she identified the problem. If she was dead, how would she know it? Stella wished she had a piece of paper and a sharpened pencil and a ruler with which to draw a table. Squared off graph paper would be best for the task, but in the circumstances she had to do without. She was amazed and somewhat disturbed at the sleuth-like calm with which she logicked out the points that argued she was still alive. Point one. She was conscious of her own rapid heartbeat. Point two. The aroma of baked beans still hung in the air from Cassandra's visit. Point three. She was a little bit hungry. These points suggested she was dead. Point one. The sun did not appear to have moved since Reliza had left. 2. 
The machines outside the door remained silent. 3. She was growing chillier with every passing minute. Stella struggled into a sitting position, groaning at the slow and painful articulation uh, of her middle back. She pulled the skirt of her nightgown out from underneath her, and she dangled both legs over the side of the bed. With one hand on the small of her back and one on the bed rail, she managed to stand up. The floor rocked under her feet as if she had left the safety of land for the roll of a ship at sea. Conscious of her cold toes, cold feet, today of all days, how very apt. She wiggled into her blue terry slippers. As she did so, she knocked over Cassandra's empty can of beans. The can fell sideways under the bed, rattled, and lay still. Light through the open door from the corridor drew a bright runner across the pale tiles of the floor. It was the same sort of illuminated carpet the moon rolled out before you were on the water. When she was a child, Stella had been certain that if you could just master the trick of it, you might walk along that golden pathway towards a distant shore. But now it was midday. There was no moonlight. But in front of her on the floor was the shining pathway of light from the corridor. And there was the door to the corridor. Or the door. Which? Stella slid one slippered foot forward. As her foot caught the light, she was astonished to find that she had unconsciously solved the case of the third option. The answer to Mad Cassandra's puzzle came to her quite suddenly and so clearly that she chided herself for not seeing it sooner. Of course, how simple, if you thought it through. For death was undeniably a mystery, but any fool could solve it by dying, and life was so thick with questions that answering one only served to raise a dozen others. But there was, after all, a third option. The third option had not been there all along, yet it was here now, spread out before her in the fan of light from the open door. She stood up a little straighter. To take the third option, she must not know what was outside the door. More, it could not matter whether that door opened into an afterlife or nothingness or back into the cabbage pine-scented corridors of Fairmount Manor Care Home. For the third option was adventure. Of course, nobody would be saved if she passed through this door. She must not hope to win true love or find her fortune. The act of adventure would only be added to the list of unknown deeds of pure and useless courage that formed the dreamy blue unconscious of busy humankind. Was it possible not to care whether you were alive or dead? For walking through that door must be an act of pure enterprise. Stella shivered. No epic hero facing unasked-for adventure 
could have felt more reluctant than Stella did at this moment. Stella edged the toes of her blue terry slippers right up to the margin of the carpet of light leading out of the little room. Yet she could not summon the nerve to move them even one inch further. Looking about her, she spied the empty can of beans on the floor where it had rolled. Stella shuffled back toward the bed and picked up the can of beans and the spoon. She looked around for a trash bin but couldn't see one. And anyway, what would she do with the spoon that was rattling inside it? She couldn't throw that in the bin. It was a perfectly good spoon, licked clean by Cassandra's tongue. As Stella stood undecided, holding the can and the spoon, the door opened wider in a draft from somewhere out of her line of vision. To Stella, the movement signaled impatience. And now the door caught a draft from another direction. The opening began to narrow. She sensed that her opportunity was closing with it. Folding her lips in the determined manner of the career school librarian, Stella leaned the empty can against her pillow with the spoon inside it sitting up in bed like a tiny round-faced patient. Soldier on, Stella! Without further thought, Stella slipped out through the door. It closed behind her. Her open-heeled slippers made a snicking sound as she hurried past open doors into which she dared not glance. Chapter 2 Stella reached the door at the top of the stairs and was struck by the smell of pine cleanser. Was she alive then? The odor of pine, strong as peppermint, was her only clue. But it was a good one. Heaven, or hell for that matter, might echo life or even be echoed by life, but it would certainly not smell of pine cleanser. So, for what it was worth, Stella was this morning still among the living residents here at Fairmount Manor. An hour before, she had believed herself past all expectations of even a brief new chapter in the book of Stella Ryman. But now she had solved the case of the third option, and she had taken up adventure when it called. She drew a long breath, arms outstretched, so that her nightgown brushed her knees as it rose. Her chest expanded with heroic well-being. Then she remembered that beyond her earlier idea of dying, uh, she had made no plans for the day. Ahead of her, she recognized the rhythm and slap of bare footsteps disappearing down the corridor toward the stairway. She heard a ghostly voice. No. She heard Cassandra Browning's voice. Stella Ryman, somebody's crying. Did you forget what I said? You're needed downstairs. Of course, Cassandra was crazy. For Stella, who had experienced no demands upon her time for the three months since she'd arrived at Fairmount Manor, the words 
were like the horns of a distant company of questing knights. After it! Follow it! Follow it! The gleam! She followed Mad Cassandra.